Welcome to California Highways Route by Route. This podcast explores everything about the numbered highways in California, from Route 1 along the coast to US 395 in the Sierras, from Route 8 in the south to Route 139 in the north. Brought to you by the California Highways webpage in Gribble Nation. I'm Daniel Fagan. I do the California Highways webpage at cahighways.org. I'm Tom Fuhr. I'm one of the admins at Gribble Nation. This is episode 1.07, Highway Numbering, State Highways. And it's really more anything about numbering on state highways. We'll have fun with this one. Last time on California Highways Route by Route, we completed our overview of the history of the state highway system. We saw the start of the system with individual highways legislatively authorized for construction. We saw three bond issues starting the bulk of the highways. We saw a gas tax come into play for maintenance. We saw the start of the U.S. highway system and later the interstate system. We saw a big burst of road construction, followed by a crash due to cost, freeway revolts, and the California Environmental Quality Act. Lastly, we saw the state start numbering roads and later do a great renumbering of all the roads. In this episode, we start to explore that last point. How are roads numbered? How, to some extent, are they categorized? Uh, We're going to talk about route numbers, post miles. This is the first episode of a four-part mini-series exploring that issue. In this episode, we explore the state highways, which are what is on green highway shield spades. In episode 1.08, we look at U.S. routes and how they are numbered and how those numbers are attained. In episode 1.09, we look at how interstates are numbered. This will include the different types of interstates and the types of interstate miles. Lastly, in episode 1.10, we look at the county sign route system. So let me tell you a story. When I started the California Highway site, it was just a list of highways I posted to Usenet monthly. Some of you out there may remember Usenet. As I looked at that list, I tried to figure out how the state highways were numbered, and it puzzled me for a long time. I mean, U.S. highways and interstate highways were easy. I knew how those worked, and you also know as well. And probably if you've seen the videos going around Facebook, you may know that. But the green shields seemed to have no rhyme or reason. They jumped across the state. There was no logical progress along either the north-south or the east-west axis. They weren't even consistent in odd or even directions. And I just couldn't believe a state would be this haphazard in how they numbered things. Well, it turned out that there was a basic reasoning to how the state highways were numbered. But it was steeped in history. And like all history, over time, later additions and renovations sort of hid and cluttered the original design, like additions to a house hide the original millwork and beautiful work that was done to build that house. Further, it turned out that there are discernible patterns in how the state numbers highways. We don't know if these patterns are official, but we've noticed them, and the people who were involved in the original numbering are long, long gone. Tom, do you have a story of how numbering may have intrigued you on the highways? Given that I lived in Arizona most of my adult life, it always seemed kind of strange that a lot of the state route numbers either began in the 60 to 90 range. And what I found out kind of over time, and this is kind of the fun of researching this stuff, is that actually they were based off the original U.S. routes that were in Arizona. 
Florida when I lived there. You kind of got a very sequential grid-based system, so it was kind of neat to see how that would play with the county routes. Uh, then you look at things like Nevada, where they had the really strange pre-1976 system versus kind of a group-numbered one that they have now post-1976. So it can be kind of fun to track down a lot of this information, um, and there is quite a bit to track down with California. I think it's a really good entry into this hobby. People either collect maps, they like taking pictures, or they get curious about the numbers. And that's where a lot of these folks that you see doing this stuff come from. Our number systems. Have you ever wondered how does state X number get its roads? Or have you asked yourself, if a, if I was a state, how would I start figuring out what to number and what goes where with what road? Have you ever wondered if any particular number had a particular meaning, such as odds and evens, three digits, low and high? Have you been in a state where there have been multiple non-U.S. route and interstate shields? When you look at the, look across the country, there's numerous types of systems in use. There's not a lot of commonality out there. I'll give you an example. I once took a business trip out to the Virginia area, and I saw that Virginia had this sort of shield-shaped shield with numbers on it, but it also had circular shields with numbers on it and square shields with numbers on it. And I could never quite figure out the differences between what shield meant what. It sort of piques the curiosity. There are a number of numbering systems in use on highways, and here are some of them, and Tom will talk about them. So you have pure sequential, assigning numbers as they're created or when you think of them. So like early 1945, Florida was a good example of this, where basically the legislator would create a route, and they just would keep going up and up and up and up. There was really no like organization to them. This was the original legislative number approach in California to, to kind of an extent, especially kind of after the first three state highway bond acts. Directional geography-based odds and evens for directions, number values, where applicable. This was approach was taken for the U.S. route system and interstates. I mentioned Florida, where this is also a thing with state roads. County-based numbers indicate the county of the route. It's a common system in, like, Hawaii. So like a Gribble Nation, we went into like Maui and Oahu. There's certain numbers that are arranged for particular counties. Special considerations needed for cross-county routes, primary and secondary systems. This approach was taken with Virginia's secondary route system, which is the circular shields. Then you have the primaries, which are kind of the more ornate, sometimes cutouts, types of roads, urban, rural, feeder, etc. Some of the approaches like this were taken in the United Kingdom. All the systems are in use somewhere. So where, where did California fall under? What did they choose is what we're going to be discussing. Now, historically, state highways weren't originally signed as state highways. Auto trail associations maintained auto trails. You've probably heard of some of these, like the Lincoln Highway or the Santa Fe Trail or the old Spanish Trail um, or the Pacific Highway. Highways under construction might be signed with a contract or an internal number. Tom's got a number of pictures he's posted of these where they've got the construction contract numbers. And routes were best known by their names, and often those names were destination-based. I recall things like, you know, the Inglewood-Hawthorne Highway, which went between Inglewood and Hawthorne. You know, that way you knew where you were going. Once there were more of a, than a handful of state routes, the Division of Highways started a list. And this was an internal list. This assigned unposted numbers to routes, and the numbers were used in legislation. These numbers are what eventually got enshrined in the Street and Highways Code as the first set of legislative numbers. And they were based really much more on the addition of the highways and the routes to the system, the construction contracts, and they really had 
no logical connection or structure. I think if you were to look at the list of legislative route numbers, you really wouldn't see any ordering or grouping or clumping at all. So I've heard stories, though, with the early route numbers, which became the legislative route numbers, particularly like 1 through 11, were kind of like a semi- oriented priority list, uh, kind of leading off of like the Redwood Highway, which was Route 1, and El Camino Real, which was Route 2, then Pacific Highway, Route 3, uh, Route 4 would be the Ridge Route. I've kind of noticed that it kind of matches up what I saw in the California Highway Bulletin, but have you seen anything in your own research that might have suggested that was kind of like a quasi-priority order for the early route numbers? I don't recall seeing that, and I'll note that you're pointing out Route 1 is the Redwood Highway, and we'll cover this in the first episode of the next season. Yet it wasn't the first state highway. If, you know, you were numbering things sequentially. I think the first state highway was what is now part of US 50 going up to the Nevada state line. Which would be Route 11. Yeah. So they didn't always build them in that priority order. So I, I, I don't know on that. So, a little bit of history. During 1926, numbers started to appear on highways with federal importance. We know these as U.S. routes. We'll cover their numberings in the next episode. These indicated important primary feeder routes. Numbers had no connection to the legislative route numbers. The U.S. route numbers inspired the start of the signed state route system in 1934. Specifically, in August 1934, the Division of Highways announced the simplification of highway directional signage by use of route numbers has been demonstrated through the country by use of the U.S. numbered highways. Plans have now been developed to coordinate the main state routes in California in a similar way. To this end, routes have been decided upon, numbers have been assigned, and designed the state route shield has been adopted and signed surveys are underway to determine the numbers and locations of the signs required. Routes will be signed as fast as possible as funds permit. Now, the basic approved approach followed the U.S. Highway Scheme, and that is in the original numbering, 1934 numbering, even numbers went roughly east-west. Odd numbers went roughly north-south. But geography provided problems to this. Most states have roads that are primarily east, west, or north, south due to topography. They're flat. That doesn't work in California. The state is very angular. The mountains are angular. They don't always go strictly north, south. And mountain passes are angular through the mountains. As they noted in August 1934, in California, however, with the coast range, the Tehachapi's, and the Sierra Nevada mountains, the topography and consequently the main road locations vary. There is sometimes doubt as to whether a certain road should be classed as north and south or the reverse. They tried to give east-west even numbers and north-south odd numbers, but they didn't always succeed. So it's sort of based on a general direction. Pick the two endpoints, draw a line between the two, and that's roughly what you've got. Interstate rivalries. There's always intense rivalries between and across states. Uh, north versus south, west versus east, urban versus rural. Simple low-to-high number systems across the state fed rivalries or really problems with clustering in numbers, uh, assigning everything low to the north or high to the south for laterals, uh, increased the odds of duplicating U.S. route numbers, which annoyed much of the part, southern part of the state, uh, going low to high, slighted northern California. Clustering the highways in the west made for an even distribution of north-south radials hard to do across the state because you have a lot of the urban areas on the coast. The sheer number of highways added to the problem. Further, in an effort to avoid confusion, no state route was given the number of a U.S. route. And we saw this again in 1964 with the interstates and the great renumbering. Numbers were often skipped in the system to allow for expansion later, 
So you'd see some numbers and then there'd be a gap and then another bunch of numbers. And the general goal was to have balance in the state. And this was the key finding, I think, that made me go, oh, now it makes sense. Using the 1934 numbers, and always remember that, routes were generally assigned two in the north, two in the south, two in the north, two in the south, two in the north, two in the south. Smaller numbers were given to more heavily traveled roads. Sections of roads were combined into one route based on traffic habits. And originally, this worked. So look at the 1934 routes. Route 1 was the coast route. Special meaning to Route 1. I always tell people, ask yourself, what is Route 1 in your state? It says a lot. 2 and 3 were in Southern California. 3 was what became 101A. 4 and 5 were in Northern California. 5 is now what is 35. 6 and 7 were in Southern California. 8 and 9 were in Northern California. 10 and 11 were in Southern California. 12 and 13 were in Northern California. 14 and 15 were in Southern California. Works great. But now as things got renumbered, it doesn't work and things don't appear to make sense anymore. So sign placement. Signs were initially placed by the two auto clubs, the California State Automobile Association and the Automobile Club of Southern California, so the CSAA and ACSC. Signs started appearing for the U.S. routes around 1928 in January. The first signed road was U.S. Route 40 from Berkeley to Nevada. Signs were paid for by membership. Uh, the state started to assume responsibility of signing roads during 1947. They started with signing the freeway specifically. The ACSC continued signing non-freeways until 1956, and the CSAA continued signing non-freeways until 1969. This brings us to the route shield, and the original shield design was developed by the Division of Architecture, although, as we discussed in an earlier episode, the auto clubs apparently submitted sign designs as well. And they all incorporated the grizzly bear that's on the state flag. The group selected a bear shield design, which, which resembled a minor spade and displayed, as I said, the grizzly bear taken from the California bear flag. The original shield featured black figures on a white background and were originally porcelain enamel on 18-gauge steel. This changed, as we noted in recent episodes, in around 1960 to a plain white shield, and it became the green shield in 1964. The border was actually not part of the original design. Some of the original sign-posted, sign-state sign route spades actually didn't have a border. It was just basically white on the outline. Must have looked a little weird. Yeah, it kind of looks a little wonky. There's a very early California Highways and Public Works volume where they show the first shield posted for Route 1 in Carmel. Uh, I had Jake Bear make mock up some of the weirder numbers like 440 and 740 for me because if they were ever posted, they would be in that design. They they look pretty off without the border on them. I guess it's what you're used to. Recently on Global Nation, we explored patterns in the early sign state route system, and it turns out there there's quite a few of them. A lot of the signed state route designations, as they were laid out in 1934, kind of fell into clusters. And usually there's like a gap of four numbers in between each route. So if you kind of look like the, towards the San Francisco Bay Area as an example, you had Route 1 on the coast, and they'd extend it. Well, they send it eastward to Route 5 on Skyline, Route 9 towards Saratoga Gap, Route 13, which is now Route 17. Um, and it kind of left some room in there for some additions. Uh, Route 13 became Route 17 fairly early on. I don't, I never quite figured out when that change happened, but in Southern California, there would be Route 3 over Pacific Coast Highway, Route 7, Route 11, Route 15, Route 19, 
and possibly even Route 23 going backtracking into the Santa Monica Mountains, Route 27, and you kind of get 35, 39. You kind of got that four-number gap sequence going on where it left room for 31. For laterals, these are the east-west routes. There was one grouping that moved from 2, 6, 10, 14, 18, 22, and 26 in Southern California. Uh, route 6 got taken out fairly early by U.S. Route 6 and became the new Route 26. So there was originally, I think it was down on Bolsa, was the original Route 26. Yeah, if I, if I remember correctly, yeah, it was down there. Yeah, that got moved up to Olympic. Um, for the Central Valley, there's a pretty apparent range which can be still largely observed today. You had Route 4 originating Stockton, Route 8, Route 16, Route 20, Route 24, Route 28, which is now Route 128, Route 32, Route 36, a skip of Route 40 because U.S. Route 40 already existed, then Route 44. Uh, this, again, leaves a sequence of four numbers. There are also north-south patterns that can be seen in groupings. So we already mentioned 23, 27, 35, 39. Uh, in essential value, you had Route 33, 41, 45, and 49. It, it's, it's there. It exists. It's not perfect. Uh, that kind of goes back to topography. You can't create a perfect grid out of all this. But there was groupings and clustered patterns there in the original 1934 assigned state route scheme. Going on with patterns, the San Diego area received a lot of numbers in the 70 range, or 70s range, but there isn't a strongable discernible pattern. You had numbers like 70 and 66, which could not be in the San Diego group, given that they became or were U.S. route numbers already by 1934. Uh, route 62 was not defined in the 1934 pattern for the San Diego area. 58 took us back to the Central Valley. Looking at the north-south routes, there was 71, 79, and 75, which were defined in 1931 near Coronado. You have Route 94 and 98, which were on the far southern edge of the state, um, which, if you look at the reverse, you have 96 on the Oregon state line. So this kind of supports that the, like, the 90-ish numbers were kind of meant for state line areas, uh, kind of down there with Mexico and up by Oregon. However, there's a number of early numbers that were left open for reserve, such as 90, 86, and 82, which were never defined in the 1934 assigned state route scheme. We already talked about Route 96 in the far northern part of the state near the Oregon state line. Route 92 was not assigned on the 1934 pattern. However, it could have been held in reserve for a route between 88 and Route 96. That later went to the San Francisco Bay area. East West routes in the Sierra Nevada Mountains for three digits starting in Stockton with Route 104, sending southward to Visalia as Route 108, Route 120, Route 132, 140, 152, 168, 180, 198. From Visalia, the state routes descended southward to the coast ranges near Los Angeles. So it went from 190, 178, 166, 150, 138, 126, and 118. As you can see, lots of really odd just little patterns you see. Most of the laterals in the central and southern part of the state were three-digit, ascending from L.A. northward until about Visalia, and then descending again to about Stockton. Many of the routes had nearby routes with a difference of 12. So south of 126, you'll find 138, then 150, which is today's 246, 154, 192, and 150. You'll see Route 166, as we mentioned, 178, 190, Route 152 and 140, Route 132, Route 120, and Route 108. The problem is that none of these patterns are written down. This could just be the human propensity for finding patterns. One thing 
the human brain is remarkably good at is seeing patterns. It is something that we have that actually computers have a lot of trouble with. And there seemingly were more patterns for east-west routes than north-south routes. So who knows? None of this is written down. So the state highway system, uh, early, very early on, it started to break. As the state highway network grew, the existing roads became longer. Each new segment of highway was given its own legislative route number, but was also extension, sometimes also extension of a assigned state route. This resulted in some state highways having up to 13 different legislative route numbers along their route. So you would have a signed highway with 13 different legislative designations. That's a lot. Routes also acquired multiple signed routes, especially when U.S. routes were multiplexed. Uh, so you have some really complex examples, uh, such as Santa Monica Boulevard from the junction of U.S. Route 101 was listed as legislative route number 162, signed state route 2, in U.S. 66, you have the whole infamous um, Arroyo Seco Parkway where you have U.S. Route 6, 99, 66, and California State Route 11, kind of all clustered right there together. With the inter introduction of the interstate highway system in 1956, the confusion was reigning supreme. It's basically out of control at this point. And this led to the great renumbering. And as you'll see when we talk about post-miles, 1964 is really a strong dividing line in a number of areas. In 1964, all of the original legislative route numbers were dropped, and the sign numbers were put into the street and highway code, but there were updates. Working under the principal rule is route numbers are not duplicated, and each route has one primary number that is their official number. So interstates took their interstate number. Now, that forced renumbering of a bunch of other routes. So, creation of I-15 forced the renumbering of Route 15, which was the Long Beach Freeway. So, that became Route 7. Well, Route 7 became free because the former Route 7 became I-405. And it also became Route 14 over the truncated US-6. US Route 14 became free because the original Route 14 became Route 91, which took it over from US-91. So, you can see... You have this whole cascade effect going on as one number changed. It triggered a whole batch of other changes. Another example of this, I-80 took over US-40, and I-40 took over part of US-66, and US-80 became 8, meaning that they had to renumber Route 8, which became Route 26. And that meant that, well, what do we do with Route 26? Well, Route 26 was Olympic Boulevard, and that route eventually became I-10. So, breaks any patterns you thought you were seeing. The U.S. highways were truncated if they were entirely in the state or less than 200 miles as a solo highway. And that, that's important, that as a solo highway. So some got new numbers for segments. Some got their U.S. highway number as a state number. So U.S. 399 went away, which was replaced with an extended Route 33 and Route 116. U.S. 466 went away, and that was replaced with Route 46, and there are vestiges in the number 46, Route 58, and I-15. U.S. 299 became Route 299 and then ended up with a segment far to the east that goes to the Nevada state line and doesn't connect with anything that actually was never part of U.S. 99. U.S. 91 became Route 91, where it didn't already overlap with I-15. There was some other route regularization that took place. So some routes were split into more logical segments. So the really long Route 150, sign Route 150, that went from Surf all the way to the southern end of Santa Barbara, got split into four routes. 246 took the part up by Surf and Lompoc. Route 
154, then went from there to Santa Barbara, Route 192, went along the foothills, and then that hit 150, which ended up going over the hills through Casitas and Ojai into, I, I think it ends in um, either Ojai or Santa Paulo, I forget which one it ends up with. Formerly unnumbered routes became signed. And so there were a whole batch of things that were legislative state routes in the system that actually were never signed as a state route. These got assigned numbers and in many cases, not all, signed. So two examples I like to point out are Route 259, which is really this extended off-ramp coming off of I-15 in San Bernardino connecting with what had been Route 30 and is now the 210. And it was for the longest time, never signed. You might see a post mile. They've now signed it. And probably the best known example of this is Route 51. And you're going to say, I've never heard of Route 51. Route 51 is the segment of former Interstate 80 that goes from I-80 up near Roseville, where, where I-80 splits off, and then continues down to where 99 and US-50 come together. Um, they sign it as Business Route 80. Legislatively, it's Route 51, and there is one route you'll hear that is not signed, but it does not have this number in the state system, which is Interstate 305. It was Federal Aid Interstate Route 305. It has never been signed as 305, and it is not in the Street and Highway Code as 305. It is in the Street and Highway Code as part of US 50. I forget which newscast does this in the Central Valley, but they, when they show the weather in Sacramento, instead of showing the I-80 business route, they now show Route 51. I always thought that was funny. Like, that's just got to be like a glitch in the data that they're getting, but it's, it's funny to see the 51 spade show up on the graphic. It confuses a lot of people, and the reason for that is convoluted. We'll go into it later, but basically... The original I-80 went through downtown Sacramento, and it was a really subpar route. It was an early route, and the state wanted to move it to a bypass route around the city, and they were going to run a new route to the north, call that, I think that was originally to be 180, and then build a new 80 that would go through downtown. But the city people, the people who lived in the city, protested it. That got canceled. And since the old 80 was substandard, they renumbered what was going to be the bypass as I-80. They took the funds for the new interstate and built rapid transit. And now they have the question of, well, what do we call the old 80 that's not really up to interstate standards? Well, we continue US-50 for the stretch at the bottom and just extend US-50 from where it ended at Route 99 all the way to the 80. But we've got this north-south segment. Uh, and that's where they got business Route 80 even though unlike any other business route, it doesn't run on surface streets. It, okay. it is a real historical mess. Unless you're from Detroit, you had um, I-696 business on the Lodge Freeway. I only know that because I'm from Detroit off the top of my head. Anyways, signs started changing. Signs changed in 1959 to comply with the MUTCD, which requires signage on what we call big screen signs. This is kind of like the overhead gantries you see on freeways to match reassurance markers. The white bear shield with square numbers was replaced with a plain white shield with normal numbers. There's still a few of these in field. Uh, notably, there's a white 134 shield as you approach the 101-134 interchange and southbound 170. So on the Hollywood Freeway extension, uh, I've tried getting really good. I tried to get some decent pictures of this, but it's very easy to see. It's not so easy to capture because it's one of the smaller type of shields you'd see, like on like how many miles to what exit 
signs. Signs changed again in 1964 of the Great Renumbering to the green highway spade we see today. This allowed the outlines of the shields on big green signs so they kind of fit in well. Uh, the green reinsurance shields were found to test well in visibility for snow and fog, which I can actually attest to. They do pop out in Tule fog. Today, for state routes, we're living with the results of this mixed-up numbering. And this is all made worse by a couple of factors. One, routes that are given numbers in anticipation of their becoming interstates, but which never may grow up to be big boys. Route 210, Route 905. Routes that have lost their signage due to relinquishment. So segments come and go, and it's hard to find the continuity of the route. A good example of this is Route 111, which has been relinquished in so many pieces in the Palm Springs and Palm Desert and Indio area. Route 2, which has had loads of segments relinquished to the cities, and particularly Route 1 in Ventura, which seems to disappear at some point. It's really on Rice Avenue, but they've never signed it when they moved it out of the business district. And many people ask, well, why couldn't they just keep the state numbers on these routes? You know, it would make it easier. It would make it easier for people. And there are two reasons. One, there would be confusion over who is responsible for maintaining the road. And secondly, it would really muck up the post miles because the post miles imply, again, state maintenance and the state database. And that's no longer the case for the relinquished routes. But boy, do people really wish they would keep the sign numbers. If I recall correctly, don't a lot of the relinquishment agreements, if the route is not completely deleted, require in the relinquishment agreement, not that this is actually has an enforcement mechanism, that the local body that took over the relinquished segment of highway maintain continuity signage? Yeah, it's required, but as you said, there's no enforcement mechanism, and uh, the cities don't want to pay for the signs or maintain the signs, so they just sort of let them fade away. There's a real notable example I've encountered in Northern California where the failure to maintain continuity signage by a local authority kind of has become a problem, and that is Route 130, uh, which on the Lum Rock Avenue in San Jose was relinquished to the city. Uh, and the signage was there uh, until fairly recently, until the city of San Jose upgraded the streets. But when they did, they never actually put any continuation signage back up, so... It's strange. You're on US 101 and you have guide signs telling you Route 130 is there at Alum Rock, but when you get onto Alum Rock, there's nothing until you get to Mount Hamilton, which is where the state maintenance resumes. And the state maintenance only goes to the top of the hill. That's correct. Because at that point, it is an unconstructed route for the rest of it. Well, then you got Santa Clara County signing it with Rogue County signage all the way to the Merced County line, but that's a whole other story. Folks, if you're interested, look up Pombo's Folly. So as an assessment, on the whole, is the California State Highway Numbering a good system? In other states, highway numbers convey significant information. Where you are, route direction, importance in the highway. In California, numbers are more historic artifacts. We have major routes such as 118, 120, sandwiched between minor routes such as 117, 119, and 121. Low digits are often minor routes or non-freeways. Route numbers don't convey the type of route. Do route numbers help the traveling public, or does the traveling public... Not really care anymore. That's kind of an open question now. You know, route numbers were important in the days before GPS, where they would convey information about the route. Truckers knew if you took an interstate route, well, it was likely safe for trucks. And that is why you still have Interstate 238, because it wanted to tell truckers, yes, you can take this route and don't take I-580, which can't handle trucks. But today, you've got GPS directing you, and it says, if it says take route... 
3952, well, you just take 3952 and you don't think about the numbering. I think to some extent, especially in California, if there's a signed state route shield applied to whatever highway you're on, you as the driver can expect a reasonable, to a reasonable degree that the road is going to be in a good state of repair. And maybe, maybe, but that is way worse when you get off those routes. I mean, we, we still have, and you can attest to this, there are still some single lane dirt route state highways. There's one up in the, um, up near San Bernardino. Off of 138, as I recall, and I think there's one up near Santa Cruz. That's actually just the one by Sid by Big Bear and San Bernardino. That's the only dirt segment left. Okay, and but, I know, but there are some one-lane segments left. Yes, but like you think about like Route Four at Evans Pass, so east of Bear Valley. So that yes, that might be one lane, but it's still 12 to 16 feet wide, and the surface conditions are far better than what you would see on like say like your random like Alpine County Road. And it there. says some, and it says something I think because I was recently going through the traversable route report from 2013 to update my pages. Think about what that says about the routes that aren't in good enough condition to adopt the state highways. Yeah, you can look at something like um, I believe in that traversable route report they had Mineral King Road listed as the traversable route for unbuilt route 276. Uh, you're in for a wild ride on Mineral King Road. It is basically a glorified stage road that is just has a very basic asphalt surface, as an example. Like, so you can have some pretty high extremes once you get outside of state uh, highway design standards. Yeah. Now, the highway numbers aren't the only numbering system in the state, and we've included one other section of numbering that people are very curious about and don't know a lot about, and that's post miles. People are used to states where they do the standard numbering of highways. You see them on their states where it starts at one and just counts sequentially all the way through the state. But that is not California's primary numbering system. California uses what they call postmods, which is a mileage-based system for identifying locations on a state highway, including U.S. and interstate highways, because those are state routes too. And this is different than the exit number. Okay, exit numbers are used on freeways, and we'll talk about those in a second. Post miles are measured from the southernmost or westernmost point of a highway in a county. There are a few exceptions that go backwards, and those exceptions are Route 71, which was originally a north-south route. It has sort of become an east-west route. Route 153, Route 282, Route 580. Again, that was a north-south route that became east-west. And I-780, again, same thing. It is now considered to be a east-west route, but it was originally a north-south route. Post miles reset to zero when they cross over county lines, although some routes continue numbering when they zigzag over the edge of county lines, like Route 166 or Route 35. They are usually noted on white paddles with the county name in the post mile, but they are also on call boxes. They are on light posts. They're the numbers you see on a light post. They're on the little signs at bridges. They're on the little signs in the center line of the road on the concrete barriers. They are sometimes prefixed with a letter, which typically indicates realignment, but there are other meanings. And they were defined in the 1964 state highway numbering. We have not seen any evidence that post miles were used before 1964. There were some references to mileage, but I we don't see them in, used in the same way with the white paddles. So 
Letters indicate what types of post miles. So C would denote commercial lanes, like for freight trucks. D would be a duplicate post mile at county lines. G is reposting the duplicate post mile at the end of a route. H is a realignment of D mileage. L is overlapping post miles. M is a realignment of R mileage. N is a realignment of M mileage. R is the first realignment of a highway. So again, this is post-1964. S is a spur of mileage of the original or realigned mileage. T is the temporary connection of the original or realigned mileage. So like a good example of T mileage around me is from Toll House Road to Aubury on Route 168. That is intended to be a temporary connection. Now, post miles are different than exit numbers. Exit numbers are governed by a system called CalNexus, and if you look it up, you can get all the details. They apply to freeways only. They are mileage-based, but they don't reset at the county line. Normally, they start at zero um, where the highway starts, but sometimes they don't, just like the state. There are always exceptions. So if you look at Route 14, that doesn't go to zero where it hits I-5. That's because there was a plan for a freeway to continue to the coast, and so they left the numbers in place for that. On the other hand, Route 170 does go to zero where it hits the 101, and it ignores the fact that Route 70 actually continued across Laurel Canyon and Highland. I think that's because there the freeway was never going to be built. So the state is sometimes inconsistent. They sometimes have gaps due to unbuilt routes, and unlike post miles, they can be a barrier to extending a, south, a route. So imagine you were to extend a route to the south or the west. Well, you've now added exits to the other side of zero, and that would mean you'd need to renumber every exit after that, and that creates a big problem, especially when you've got really long roads in the state. Imagine you were to somehow extend I-5. You'd have to renumber 800 miles. For all we know, that could be one of the reasons why I-15 never gets renumbered or finished, but who knows? But that is one of the problems with the long sequential state-based numbers. There are all sorts of rules, as I said, it's on my exit number page, which I'll link, of when you see the A, B, C, Ds, and whether you number interchanges or junctions. But the key point to take away from this is that post miles aren't exit numbers. Now, to help you understand more about post miles, we've got our interview. So now is the time in the podcast where we bring in a guest to talk about a subject related to the episode. Today's guest is Andy Richardson, who's a subject matter expert in geographic information systems, which is called GIS, linear referencing systems, which is LRS, and post-miles. He's worked as a GIS specialist in the state of California since 1988, including Caltrans between 2001 and his retirement in 2021. In his last years at Caltrans, he implemented the department's current linear referencing system. He is joining us to talk about the post-mile system in California, and I think you'll find this a really, really interesting interview. So, Andy, can you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Andy Richardson. I've been working for the state of California and various agencies since 1988. The bulk of my career, the last 20 years, have been at Caltrans. And as a GIS specialist, I had to work with PostMiles quite a bit. So I developed, uh, I think, a pretty solid understanding of Caltrans' PostMiles system and all its nuances and idiosyncrasies. I did retire just a little over a year ago in 2021, but I'm back as a retired annuitant. Plus, I do some other GIS consulting work. 
Why did California adopt a post-mile system rather than a statewide mileage system used in other states? We, we see this question often in the Road Geek forums where people go, gee, California isn't mileage-based like everyone else is that uses sequential miles. And I think people just don't understand why we use a post-mile system. Right. There's basically two differences between the California post-mile system and other state systems. And one is that the miles reset to zero when a rod crosses into a new county. So at every county line, that resets to zero. Uh, and the second is that it uses these post-mile prefixes. So the reasoning behind that first one where it resets to zero at county line, I can't say that I really know the answer to this, but here's some possibilities that I've always thought of. One is that historically in Caltrans and Division of Highways has been around for a long, long time, and things have been managed really at a local level for you know that history. So at the county level, at a district level. So I, I think it kind of honors that history. The second would be that it probably is an intent to localize the effect of any kind of route changes on downstream post miles. So if a long route is realigned near its beginning and it changes the post miles downstream from there, then, you know, that's that's would be constrained to happening within a county. And then the third thing, kind of obvious, California is a rather large state. And the longest route in California is Interstate 5. It's over 800 miles long. So there's a lot of potential there for things to be changed along that, that way. So maybe those are reasons why it resets the zero county lines. And then the post-mile prefixes are what kind of really confuse people. And, and just a little background, when there's many reasons for a prefix to be introduced, but the most common one is that when there's a realignment and the highway gets shorter or it gets longer, that realigned section will basically get new post miles, but they'll have a prefix, an R prefix. And there can be some other prefixes too. What that does is it uh, it leaves the remainder of the post miles downstream untouched. My analogy is that it's like a house addressing system and I have a house number and if a new house gets built upstream from me, I don't want my house address to change. That would be very problematic. Same concept with the post miles. You know, post miles are basically an addressing system. So the post mile prefix really respect all post miles that have not been changed, you know, directly changed by a realignment or some other modification to the route or a relinquishment or an extension, something like that. And then when that does happen, just consider the impact of if you had to install all new post mile paddles, renumber exits, re-stencil post miles that are uh, painted onto bridges and other fixed objects, that would be just a, a rather large task to do that and not really manageable. By the way, I will just add that Caltrans does maintain what we call a continuous statewide odometer, which is a system that other states tend to use. And we use it to support certain needs, but that statewide odometer is continuously changing. Every time you know a route gets modified and its length changes, that statewide odometer changes for that particular route. Do you know when California started to use post-mile? Well, my best understanding is that it was part of the 1964, quote, great renumbering. In all, all the documentation that I saw at Caltrans, that's the date that I saw. It's like, you know, the origin of these routes and, and then the post-miles that associate with it. So what did they use before that? I don't know. I'm not familiar with what they used, if they used even anything before that, other than just descriptions of where things were. What are the additional benefits of using the post-mile prefixes? What are the disadvantages? All right. So there's a number of advantages, and I've alluded to a little bit of them already. So one is post-miles are allowed to overlap. So if we consider a realignment, say a, 
a bypass around the city. That happened in Hollister, for example, on, on 156. So the 156 got longer to bypass around Hollister. So then the last parts of that bypass, the post miles actually overlap with the section of highway that it reconnects to at the end of the bypass. But they're different post miles because they have an arc. So they're differentiated. Uh, you know, they can have the same post mile numeric value, but one has a, a prefix and one does not. So they're a different address. So post miles are allowed to overlap. Those sections, those historical sections, say 156 that went through downtown Hollister, can still be referenced, you know, historically. There can be data that is attached to that that says what was going on or what was attached to that roadway in the 1950s or something like that, because those post models never do get reused. So they don't have a prefix and you can still reference these retired or relinquished sections of roadway. Routes can also be extended beyond their beginning. So two examples of that in Watsonville in the late 60s, I believe, Highway 1 was bypassed to the west of Watsonville. And both routes 129 and 152 then were extended somewhere around three miles or so. I, I believe 129, about three miles to meet now uh, Highway 1 to the west. And because the post mile started at zero, you can't go negative with your post mile. So, so they start at zero again, but they get a prefix of either T or L, depending on which of those two routes we're talking. So they can. And you, and you had that with I-8 as well in San Diego, as I recall. There's probably a number of them around. Because they, they added another highway to the beginning of it, to the west. Yeah. So it's not a big deal to extend things beyond the end of the route, but you know, if you're starting at zero and you extend beyond the beginning of the route, that's problematic. But the prefixes allow that to happen. And basically, you know, my last point with this is it fully accommodates the reality of a continually changing highway system. And I've had a number of discussions with people, and I will say literally sometimes, you know, they get frustrated with this concept. And I've had people literally say, just stop changing the highway system. And you need a system that accommodates that ongoing change. Two, two disadvantages. One is they're confused. And I've spent much time in my life explaining the system to people and arguing with people of why you need them. So if people are confused by them, they tend not to use them and that then gets them in the wrong place, sometimes by a, quite a bit a distance. Uh, and then you can't subtract one post mile from another post mile reliably to give you the length of that highway in miles. And so consider if you cross over into New County, you can't subtract the earlier post mile from the newer post mile because you'll wind up with a negative length. Uh, so those are two distances, but, but there's many advantages to it. You talked about being able to reference the historical segments of highways, and yet post miles weren't used before 64. So how did we accommodate all the changes? And I could imagine it being even worse. Tom can tell you, if we look at the history of the state routes that defined U.S. 66, that kept changing. And with a lot of the U.S. routes, the actual surface streets kept changing. Maybe that wasn't quite as fixed until we hit the 64 renumbering and things were just loosey-goosey. Any ideas on that? I don't know. I don't have ideas on that. My guess is that prior to 64, uh, they just didn't use post miles. And if they did, I would say since then, there's a whole lot of data associated with post miles. It's one thing to think of it from outside Caltrans perspective of, you know, what are these post miles all about? But within Caltrans, there's a whole ton of data that's associated with post miles or they're associated with a location on the highway system by post mile. I'll go back to the analogy of like a, a house addressing system. And I once had an address of, you know, Star Route 58 or something like that. And the mailman knew my name and where I lived, but that my address.
address didn't really pinpoint where my house was. You know, so you got to go from a, a narrative of where someone lives to a way to pinpoint it with some specifics, right? That's kind of what the post miles is all about. Tom, do you recall ever seeing post miles mentioned in California Highways and Public Works before 64? Not specifically. There is on occasion pictures of like route surveys where they'll have like the legislative route number and a certain mileage attached to like a survey marker. Uh, there's a pretty famous photo of when they were building Legislative Route 127 near Darwin, uh, the, the Division of Highways, and you can see a mileage reference on that. That's what became Route 190 eventually. And when I looked it up in the post miles tool, it doesn't really correspond to anything that would be post-1964. We mentioned the different prefixes earlier, and we often, as you noted, see R realignment miles. Can you give some examples of some of the other letters we see and maybe where they're used? Uh, sure. So there's three prefixes that are associated with realignments, and the R is the most common one. It's the first realignment. But then an M was introduced when it became necessary to realign something that had already been realigned. So an R got realigned. And then there are actually places where there are N prefixes where an M got realigned. So those you are... Ever, you ever see them going beyond that and having to add a letter beyond N? Uh, not yet, no. Uh, but you could imagine that would happen, and I would just draw another analogy that it's almost like drive letters. <laughs> Are you going to run out of drive letters in Windows uh, or DOS, I would say? So, uh, so yeah, the system could break at some point in time, but there's still a lot of letters left to, to work with. So, no, uh, N is the last of realignment. L's and T tend to be used for the same thing, often when routes get extended at their beginning. So I mentioned earlier in Watsonville, 129 and uh, 152, and I can't quite remember which is which, but one gets a T prefix. I think that's 152, and then the other gets an L prefix. So the T is supposed to be a temporary, it stands for temporary connection of original or realigned mileage, but I see them both used sort of interactively. I've seen L's also get used when mistakes were discovered in how things were measured within the route, not at the beginning, not at the end, but there's a realization that the mileage was wrong. And so they might want to increase that mileage. So they'll, for the overlapping section of miles, they'll give an L to those. So they tend to be fairly short, but you see those. So L's and T's are another way to handle overlapping post miles. D's and H's. D is a duplicate post mile accounting line. And a place where I know that happens is Route 58. It leaves San Luis Obispo County and enters Kern County. So it zeroes out in Kern County. It gets a new county component. So it zeroes out. But then it re-enters San Luis Obispo County. It does not zero out again. It's just counting uh, from where it left that first portion of Kern County. Then it goes back into Kern County and the numbering continues. So I think it's the last section of San Luis Obispo County that gets that prefix to differentiate between the earlier section of those same post models in San Luis Obispo County. So that's a D and then an H is simply where a D gets realigned. And I maybe that happens on 150 in Santa Barbara County. I'm not positive about that. You got three more. One is a, an S. So there are routes. S stands for spur. So there's routes that actually have a T, the same route that T's into itself. There's one in San Joaquin County, Route 4, uh, that has, you know, just like this T branch. There's another one 
at almost the Mexico border on Route 7 in Imperial County. There's another interesting thing where you have some supplemental routes. They're not post miles. Like I-15 has dedicated pavement for express lanes. And so that's actually a different route. It's still I-15, but it gets an S route suffix. And same with I-5 between 14 and 210 north of Silmar. There's actually a different alignment for trucks, and that's a different route. It's I-5S. That one particular area, not only is it a different route suffix as opposed to a post-mile prefix, but it also gets a C post-mile prefix. So that one one highway, that one section of highway, is both I-5S and the post-miles are all prefixed with C. So that's redundant. I think that's kind of a mistake. It should either be a different, it's most likely should just be a different route, I-5S, and it's doesn't need to have the C prefix because it's not I-5. So yeah, that's a look. And then the last one, G's, it's stated as a reposting of duplicate post mile. Where I see these used is to fix small mistakes that they've made. And and one that I am aware of is I-5 travels north into like downtown LA area where it connects, I think, with 101 and 10. And it ends, it's an overpass underpass area, and I-5 stops in the middle of the overpass and then resumes below it on the underpass. And I think I-5 continues on as 10 on the overpass. And so on paper, that's not a big deal. That's, I think, 16.901 is that last post mile, and then it resumes at 16.901, but they're actually different places. So you wind up with the same post mile in two different places. They're very close to each other, but they're vertically different, horizontally a little bit different. So they took the last one thousandth of a mile, 16.900 to 16.901, and gave it a G prefix just so there's not two places that have the same post mile. You won't see it on a sign or anything like that, but uh, but yeah, that's that's one that I'm aware of. And so I'm, I'm aware of, I've seen it elsewhere, just, you know, mistakes are made and, and this is a way of fixing the mistake, keeping the post mile basically, but just putting a G prefix and then it's not redundant, used in more than one place. We also see references to E post miles. What are these? So these are equation points and there are many locations where there are discrete highway locations, one location that has two post Miles. So the obvious winners are county boundaries because the post miles reset at county boundaries. You can stand on a county boundary and then think of it as county boundary is infinitely thin. So it's one location on the state highway. And behind you, it has one post mile, and ahead of you, it has another post mile. That's an equation point. One location, a county line that can be referenced legitimately by two separate post miles. And really, it's any place where a post mile prefix changes. The obvious one is at the end of a realignment, so where a realignment resumes back to its original alignment. So you're going to have two different post miles at that same location. Theoretically, the one would have an R behind you and the uh, one ahead of you would not have a prefix, but it may. You know, it just depends on what happened to the routes along the way there. For each equation point, post mile pair, there's a back, an upstream towards the beginning of the route. So if you're facing the direction the post miles go on the route, that's behind you. And then there's the ahead equation post mile, or, you know, what we call downstream also towards the end of the route. So there's many locations that can have two post miles or equations. Now, there are also references to post mile suffixes and route suffixes. You alluded to one of those when you were talking about I-5S. I remember the days of a Route 86S when they were building the Expressway 86. 
Can you describe what these are? So there's basically two of them. There's U's and S's. One is unrelinquished. One is supplemental. These are the route suffixes that I'm talking about. Starting off with the supplementals, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, I5S. That's the truck alignment parallel to I5. These are all related to the route of the same number. From a Caltrans perspective, they're considered different routes, and they are different alignments. You know, they're completely different concrete or pavement. And so I5S is that section of the truck alignment of I5 that's north of Silmar. Another one is I15S, which is in San Diego County, and it's the express alignment that's actually within the alignment of I-15. So that's the express lanes are interior. They're separate concrete or separate pavement. They're considered a different route, but they're very much related to I-15. Did they do something similar for like the elevated bus lanes on the 110? I don't believe so. I have not seen that, but it would be a logical application of that separate alignment. Yeah, good question. So the U routes are unrelinquished, and so these are typically was part of a route that then got relinquished, most likely due to, or most often due to, like a realignment, like a bypass around a city. I mentioned earlier 156 that bypasses Hollister, and for uh, quite a long time, there was 156U, which was the original 156 alignment that went through downtown Hollister, and it took quite a few years to relinquish that to local agencies, whether it's the county. I don't believe Hollister is a city, but it's probably to San Benito County. There's one I'm aware of now, I think it's in Mendocino County, 101U. It might be a bypass around Willits or something like that. So it's basically Caltrans still owns or you know has responsibility for maintaining that route, but they've already bypassed it and, and the main route is somewhere else now. So there's U's and S's. There is also an X. They're a little bit different. It's still a route suffix. An X is an unconstructed route. We use the term paper routes for those sometimes. It's not really the same thing. They're not really routes yet, but you will see a route suffix for those. And in the post-mall listing that you may have seen, you could see some X route. There's also uh, post-mall suffixes, and there's only two values for these, R for right, L for left. And these are places where the right and left sides of the highway, the, the right and left alignments diverge. So for the most part, the highway system is considered a center line. Everything is parallel. Uh, we don't say you're on the right side, you're on the left side. You Basically, it's both sides starting at some origin and then traveling to the east or to the north. But there are places where the highways diverge for a couple of reasons. One is it tends to be in mountainous areas where the highway, the two alignments have to go around some obstacle. I think 80 has a number of those locations as it's traveling through the Sierra. The other place where it happens, and one I'm quite familiar with, is in Watsonville. So that's where a state highway goes through a city, and it traverses different city streets due to there being one ways. So part of 152 travels on one street, and the other part of 152 travels down a block, across a block, and back up a block to meet uh, its other side. And so one is quite a bit longer. So they're different lengths. They get different post miles. And so you, you differentiate between them with a right or left. R or L postmall suffix. So postmalls can have prefixes. There's like 10 of those. And they can have postmall suffixes. There's only two of those. What role does GIS and linear referencing systems play in regards to routes and postmalls? Just important to understand that the postmalls have been around for a long time, 1964, and GIS and then even linear referencing systems are much newer than those. So these are really just database software systems that are used for 
tracking and managing data associated with the state highway system and their post miles. So geographic information systems are basically digital mapping and digital geospatial database applications. And in specific, then linear referencing systems are a data model, a linear data model that represent linear features such as state highways. They can also represent things like railroads, pipeline, rivers, that you can basically address things along a linear system like that based on some sort of a measure. So for a state highway system, it can be like a post mile is the, the logical thing. So it's really just a way of implementing the concept of a state highway system and posts and associated post miles in a digital geospatial database. And all state departments of transportation manage their state highway system in a linear referencing system in some fashion, some, some more modern than others. So it allows data that can be located on the state highway system to be geospatially enabled and, and others we can digitally map it and analyze it along with other geospatial data. So it's a way, for example, that Caltrans can keep inventories of their assets like culverts, guardrails, pavement, numbers of lanes, other roadway characteristics based on what route it's on, what county it's in, and what it's from and to post miles might be for those those attributes. The post mile tool that I see you have referenced on cihighways.org. Behind the scenes uses the Caltrans linear referencing system to, when you type in a post mile or you click on a map and you want to know what the post mile is, in the background it's in that GIS-based linear reference system. And this all just maps stuff into GPS coordinates type stuff. Yeah. So you can go either way. You can have coordinates, lat longs or something like that, or when you click on a map, that's what you're doing, and it can basically say that, that XY location it's nearest to this highway, this location on this highway, and that's the post mile at that particular location. Conversely, almost like sending a letter or like a mail merge, if you want to think of it that way, where you have a whole list of you know house addresses, number, street, zip code. You could also have a list of county route post mile and automatically locate any number of thousands of those records onto the state highway system. Yet I've noticed, and I'll let you finish this question in one second, using the post mile tool, sometimes you will enter a post mile that you know should exist, for example, zero at the end of a route, and yet the tool doesn't recognize it at all. Is that because it only knows certain discrete post miles for the mapping? No. The way the linear referencing system works is it recognizes valid ranges of post miles. You know, the post mile system measures down to a thousandth of a mile, right? So there's three decimal places for every post mile. But there's not a point stored for every of those thousandth of mile post miles. It's more like you have sections of road that start at zero and end at 10 or something like that. And and then the post mile prefix will change and maybe it becomes R10 and it goes to R15. Most likely the reason that you would get that problem is you might have like a route that you say, you know, it should start at zero. But what you may not understand is that it actually might start at R0 because that initial, that beginning of the route was realigned at some point in time. So there's not a post mile zero, there's a post mile R's. So that's where the post mile prefixes really kind of triple out. Regarding the post mile tool, this is an example near me on Kings Canyon Road, which is the former surface route of 180. There are a handful of non-suffix post miles, like Route 180-64. In theory, I'd be able to go into the post mile tool, plug that number in, and see if that was actually still active or if that's just left in field by mistake. Right. 
The PostMod tool right now only returns information about current, and but the linear referencing system will and is storing as of the late 2021. We transitioned the linear referencing system to some new technology, and there's like a new ground zero in a way of that. So the software, the technology that linear referencing system uses now stores history. So once you start realigning things in that new system, it doesn't delete old stuff. It just marks it as retired and it gives it a retired date. So you can actually go back and map things on what was there previously, things that got realigned or whatever. However, the huge caveat with that is uh, we started it. The beginning of the data in that particular system is something like October 2019. So we're not going back to 1964 and capturing all the history and putting it into that new system. But the post model tool is only developed to basically give you current what is there right now. But the system behind it all has the capability of returning. You, you could give it a date and find out what the situation was, where that postmod was on that particular date. There is predecessor non-geospatial system of record for the state highway system and postmods called TSN, the Transportation System Network, that is a purely tabular, not geospatial, not GIS, but a purely, purely tabular representation of the state highway system with all the history going back to 1964. So it's there and it's fairly complex, but it has not been migrated and it's not going to be migrated into the modern linear referencing system. Is that tabular data available online to the general public or is it internal only? It's internal only and even more so it is really only available to a select few Caltrans staff. There's nothing sensitive about it or anything like that. It's just that the system that it's stored in is really fairly old technology. It's I think was developed in the 70s or 80s and when you work with it, I've worked with it, it's like this is pretty old stuff and to sort of make that available as a sort of dynamic web-based system, that, that system would never support that. The data behind it, the tables and everything behind it, if you moved it into something more modern, yes, it, it could, but currently there's no plans to do that. And so that's why there's really nothing available to the general public. I once got a printout, I want to say it was from Mike Ballard, of the post-mile logs, which I'm willing to bet is this system for District 7. And it had, oh, this post-mile is this culvert, this post-mile is this underpass. This post mile is this bridge. I think that was this printed out. Right. And keep in mind that in TSN, the Transportation System Network, that is sort of like the foundational data set. And those other things, that supports those other things. So part of that data set is a bunch of landmarks, things you can physically see that have post miles associated with them. They derive their post miles from TSN, not the other way around. Uh, but those landmarks and that post mile listing is a report generated out of TSN. So those landmarks that you see in that sequential listing of post miles in the sequential listing of routes for a district is really part of that TSN data. So there's a whole bunch of landmarks in there that might be intersections, it might be uh, culverts, it might be bridges, all kinds of different things that you can see on the ground there. So we were talking about the historical database TSN. And I know as of a couple of years ago, Caltrans was still publishing the bridge log, which listed every bridge, the date of the bridge, the post miles of the bridge, and so on. Has there been any work to integrate that static bridge log into the GIS or LRS database and then have a almost a dynamic 
bridge log that would allow you to investigate the bridges without having to go to a PDF report? Good question. So that's an example of an asset. And an asset is a primary way over the last few years that Caltrans manages, not not their highway system, but it's like there's a, rather than like a project-oriented approach, like a, I'll say like a pavement-oriented approach to doing highway projects, they're now considering other assets, bridges, culverts, intelligent transportation systems, and then pavement is the primary one. So when Caltrans is looking at doing highway projects, project sort of gets more points when there's other things along that a proposed section of a project that also need work like bridges, culverts, intelligent transportation systems. So these are all primary assets uh, on the state highway system. So the state highway system is more than just pavement and lanes. There's bridges, there's culverts, there's all these other things. So all of these assets are really stored in separate databases, and some are stored in a more modern fashion than others. So like the culvert database for the last 20 years has been captured and stored in a very modern digital kind of a way. There, there's crews that go out in the UPS uh, systems to collect the locations and the conditions of culverts, and, and it's all stored back in one database, one digital database that is GIS enabled. And so you can go, I'm not sure if there's any external web maps, but internally there's uh, plenty of web maps that show culverts, and it's basically what you're asking, right? Can I zoom into an area and can I click on a culvert and get the information about that culvert, including its condition? Yes, you know, we can do that. That. Bridges, not there yet. I assume it will be there, but it's just one of those things that, you know, we need to kind of get up to speed on. And the path is clear on that. You know, we've done it with culverts. We've done it with other things. Bridges, uh, I'm sure, will be happening at some point in time, too. But keep in mind that those are individual. They tend to be in their individual databases. But the way that we've designed the linear referencing system is it's set up so that those other systems can retrieve information from it about what the post mile should be at a particular location. So same with culverts. Uh, there's other assets, guardrails, sound walls, where the LRS can provide post miles to those other systems. So you really have one system of record for the LRS, the state highway system, and the post miles, and all these other systems can retrieve post miles from that. They're all retrieving it from the same thing, right? The same system of record. How is the point on a collector or distributed segment of a highway distinguished from the main line? Right. So the main line has the whole post mile system that we described. The ramps themselves, I, I don't have a strong understanding of this, but I'm familiar with it from you know my time working at the district, San Luis Obispo, that our traffic operations people that track those crashes, all ramps are actually post miled as well, but they are post miled separately from the main line. So I think there's a I'm not sure if there's a ramp number or not, but the ramps are basically measured. There's actually paper drawings in three ring binders of all of the ramps where somebody has in pencil marked out what the mileage is on those ramps. And they basically start at zero and go to the length of the ramp. And I can't tell you where where they start and where they end. You know, what's the rule of thumb there? As you say, there's on-ramps and off-ramps. And there's highway-to-highway ramps, so it's neither an on-ramp or an off-ramp. But basically, that information is stored, and those things might be scanned. That's that's kind of how I've seen it. That's really all handled on paper right now. 
Are there any other questions that we should have asked you or didn't? Or are there things you want to tell us about the post-mile system that you think are just really cool and that folks might like to learn about? Well, I'm not sure about really cool, but I will just just say that in my time, and nobody ever really taught me about the Caltrans post-mile system. I just sort of was exposed to it and said, okay, I get it. I've had a lot of arguments, a lot of pushback with people on the post-mile system over and over again. And, um, and many, they'll all say, that thing is ridiculous. Do it this way. And, and then you say, well, that way doesn't work. You know, it works 95% of the time or it works 80% of the time, but not 100% of the time. So I've really always defended the Caltrans post-mile system because it works 100% of the time. Now, it's confusing. That's one of the disadvantages I said earlier. It's confusing to people, but it worked, right? So whoever figured this out, they actually built a system that 100% works for the California State Highway System. No one's been, been ever able to say, here's another approach that would work. Not has never happened. Now, that does bring up like what do other states do? And I'm a little bit more exposed to that now with some of the work that I'm doing. But what I see is that, you know, Caltrans, I, I believe, really stores a lot of data related to the Caltrans post-mile system much more than other states. And we can rely on those post-miles never changing unless that route goes away, right? If it gets relinquished and then, you know, there's a bypass or realigned, there's a new piece of roadway, it gets new post miles. But if you have like a crash or something like that on, on the previous roadway, that crash doesn't move to the, to the new roadway. So I'm seeing that other states don't necessarily use their post mile system really to the same extent that California does. Um, but anyway, I guess my sort of take home point is it's confusing, but it works 100% of the time. Do you have any questions you'd like to add, Tom? Caltrans District 4, as of late, uh, on some of the routes, they have been posting mile markers. My assumption, given that I haven't actually been out to District 4 in some time, is that they're intended to supplement the post miles. Uh, and the mileage-based mile markers are kind of just meant as a driver's aid. Are those based off the statewide odometer? They would be the statewide odometer having not seen it myself. But again, the problem with that is what happens when you shorten or lengthen something, you know, towards the beginning of the route upstream? Or is someone going to go out and renumber all of those miles, those odometer value? Or, or are they now just going to be out of date? Some of the counties, I notice just kind of my own travels, tend to follow the post-mile system like San Benito County, whereas others don't, like Monterey County, a lot of, they have a lot of mile-based markers. Is there like kind of like some commonality within most of the counties in the state that they kind of conform to what Caltrans does with post miles? There's 58 counties in California that they sort of do wildly different things with in other areas. I've seen LA County do something similar to post miles. Um, Where I tend to notice it is when I drive out to camp, I'll take Cannon Doom and that has mile markers along it within the county. And, you know, they count down to zero at the beginning of the route. Whether they have it in a database, I have no idea. Well, Andy, I thank you for doing this. It really has given us some interesting insights to post miles that I don't think we had before. I never really thought about thinking of them as an address number on the highway. But it really does work. And uh, thank you for sharing and taking the time. It's been interesting. I appreciate the invite. And I will say again, really enjoyed for many years uh, your website, cahighways.org. A lot of good information there. So very, very nicely done. And you might have fun since, since we'll mention it, looking at Tom does a batch of blogs on California highways out on Gribble Nation where he's been going into a lot of the history of the route. If you're into that. Yes. And I must say, 
I don't know if you do the same thing, but you look in the dictionary for something and then half an hour later, you're still looking up different words and that's interesting. So that's, that's kind of what the website is like for me. Okay. Carry yourself away and get back to work. Well, thank you again for your time. Thank you guys. Good luck with everything. Again, I'd like to thank Andy for that interview. Before we start back up, Tom, do you have any thoughts on Andy's interview looking back on it? I think it's really an interesting thing for people to probably listen to this kind of in the road community and kind of try to understand where, where the state of California is coming from with post miles. I, it's a lot more, in my opinion, precise system and allows for a lot more exacting measurements than you get with the mile marker program. I, I guess I, I do understand that mile markers are useful for the driver, but when you're thinking of maintenance and referencing where things are, Post miles has, has been stated in the interview that it's an address system for the state to find locations on the highway. So really, if you think of it as this isn't really necessarily intended for you, but it's intended for maintenance, it tends to make a lot more sense. I think it's a lot better system than just using mileage to find things on a highway. But again, it's not intended really for the driver on the road. Yeah, it really made me realize that post miles are just a unique address. It's a way of uniquely addressing something. It's not fully precise in that it doesn't tell you lane or what side of the freeway you're on or exactly where you are, but hey, that's room for improvement in the future, right? Yeah, and uh, for someone like like me, I I find the post mile system to be very, very useful because it does help me substantially in, in my research. We talked about the segment of I-80 that has an R suffix post mile or the segment that has R suffix post miles, that's how you can tell that there was a realignment in there somewhere after 1964. So if you're into history and research and stuff in California, you kind of got a built-in tool that will automatically tell you if there's been a somewhat modern realignment of a highway. I just wish they made that historical post mile database (laughs) available. It would be really useful. There are times I'm doing things going through the minutes of the CTC and I've got a reference to a post mile, but since then they've relinquished the route and I can't go to the post mile tool to figure out where it was exactly. Next time on California Highways Route by Route, we continue our mini-series in the numberings by exploring the numbers of the U.S. route system. For more information on what we've discussed on this episode, visit the highway numbering section on cahighways.org. That will include sections on both all the different types of sign numberings. It includes sections on post miles and includes a section on exit numbering. Visit the Gribble Nation blog on patterns in state highway numbering. Links to both of these areas and other relevant things we can think of will be on the show page at caroutebyroute.org. And details for specific routes of interest related to this will be on the specific route pages on cahighways.org and gribblenation.org. So, closing lines or closing thoughts. As always, information on this episode is available on our website, caroutebyroute.org, where you can give us a comment uh, on this episode. This episode is available on our Anchor FM home, anchor.fm forward slash caroutebyroute. Remember to visit our archives of our past episodes, including our six-part series in the history of the state highway system. Join us as we continue to explore California highways route by route. This episode was written by Daniel Fagan and Tom Fear, edited and produced by Daniel Fagan. Our opening theme is I Like to Be by the Seaside by John H. Gloverkind. If you have an opening theme you think might be good for our show or you want to write one, and that's either in the public domain or you're willing to let us use for free, contact me. I'd love to come up with a new 
Highway-specific theme for when we start Season 2. Episodes are recorded using freeconferencecall.com. This podcast is a product of California Highways at cahighways.org and Gribble Nation at gribblenation.org. If you might be interested in becoming a supporter of the podcast once we have that established, please contact me at daniel at caroutbyrot.org. Tom, now that we're at the end of the episode, I always like to say, what closing thoughts do you have? What what thoughts do you have of sign route numbering and post-mile numbering and all the numbering you see in the state of California? Uh, could it be better? Yeah. Could it be more organized? Yeah. But you got to consider that the system as it is laid out today, especially with the sign state routes, uh, really kind of had to make room for the interstate system. And this will become more apparent as we go through the next couple episodes. You can really kind of see where the priorities lied with the state. And it was more so getting the interstate grid to fit into the state more than anything else. Uh, but really, like I, like I was saying, I think to some extent, if you see a signed state route shield, there are certain expectations you can have for that road. That is definitely more than I could say for like states like New Mexico, where I used to previously work, where literally uh, a reassurance shield really didn't mean anything. It could just be a complete basket case. I'm wondering whether the problems in California's numbering are endemic to any large state with a large highway system. So... I don't know how Texas numbers its highways, but I don't know whether they have similar problems. I know they have a distinction between the level of the road because they have farm-to-market roads. But in their state highways, are they sort of equally haphazard? I don't know, but they're probably a good large state that would be an example. When you have a small state on the order of a Nevada or even a Virginia, it's much easier to be regular in your state highways because you don't have the same distances that you have in California. You don't have the same mountains, you don't have the same geographical problem. Some states have a really small number of state highways. We have a lot. And I think the result is what we've got in the numbering system. And with that, that's the end of the episode. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode when we talk about the numbering of U.S. highways. (music) 